0: It's another Tuesday, which means it's time for another episode of your favorite podcast, Hockey, the Podcast. Hope you had a great weekend. I know we also passed a Monday. Hope you had maybe an extended weekend and included that Monday too. Uh, If you are in the hockey fraternity though, chances are not because hockey players, administrators, the works work 24-7, eight days a week and that's no lie, including... My partner in crime, Tyron Jabu Barnard. Although, you had a bit of a weekend off, aren't you, Ty? Yeah,
1: yeah, but, but I had to put in annual leave for it. So, I mean, <laughs> do, do, does it really count as a weekend off? Um, yeah, it was good. It was good to get away with the family. Obviously, uh, in COVID times and, and working from home, even your weekends, everything feels a bit the same. So, it was yeah. quite nice to just get a, a change. A change is as good as a holiday, so I suppose this was a holiday.
0: Yeah, so. it was uh, exactly that. The holiday was a change, change <laughs> was a holiday. Where do you go? It looks spectacular.
1: Um, we went to a place called Hayesbrook Country Lodge, also sponsoring this podcast, if we buy a card rock. Out in butterfield boven swimming pool being um, an actual river. I mean, you can't ask for better than that. You, you, well, I mean, you can, but then you're a selfish... <laughs> Uh, I won't <laughs> say any other words <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but but I mean it, it, I, this, really this isn't
0: a plug for the place at all, well, it kind of is actually but uh, this is off the cuff, <laughs> I, I just loved you sent me photos of the spot and I loved the fact that it advertised the swimming pool as saying this is our outdoor pool, it didn't say here's a river, here's this, here's that, this is our pool and it literally was a, a river with a, a mini waterfall included
1: Yeah, absolutely brilliant, I mean and just Just the kind of thing that you need. I mean, uh, unfortunately, 2021 has been a continuation of 2020 as far as sport goes, as far as COVID has gone. And so it's been great to, uh, you know, take the opportunity to get away with the family and just uh, take a deep breath and uh, start again, you know, new week, new day. Um, and batteries slightly more recharged.
0: Oh, great to hear. So if you've just joined us, welcome back to Travel South Africa, the podcast. <laughs> uh, we move back to Hockey, the podcast, which is, of course, the main theme. And we've got uh, another fantastic guest uh, lined up today, Ty.
1: Yeah, of course. And, and it gives us great pleasure that uh, here on Hockey, the podcast, we get to break news that many people probably already know. Um, but that is that this is the man who is now charged with being the uh, head coach of the South African indoor hockey men to, uh, through uh, the African qualifier, which is taking place in April this year, uh, you know, COVID, COVID uh, dependent. He's not a stranger to the role, obviously, having been the uh, head coach previously. Uh, it is none other than Ryan Hack. Ryan, welcome and uh congratulations on the new appointment.
2: Yeah, thanks, Jabu. Thanks, Derek, for for asking me to come on. Yeah, it's uh, exciting times and uh, yeah, I kinda can't wait to get going whenever that may be.
1: Yeah, so so obviously I mean Ryan, you you have been the coach before, um, but let's let's just give everybody who who doesn't know a little bit of context. Uh, David Joshua was the head coach. You were the assistant coach um, appointed up until the World Cup. What has happened that has led to this change?
2: Well, um, yeah. Look, I think sort of the beginning. I think that COVID has thrown a massive spanner in in the works for for a lot of things, and and one of the the challenges, obviously, it, it, indoor, it, indoor was ultimately directly affected as, as well as most international sports. Um, I mean, right now, I think, yeah, I think with the seventeenth, the twenty-first, twenty-first of February this year, we actually should be in Belgium right now, just about to, about to compete. So, um, yeah, obviously, uh, indoor was indoor was postponed. The World Cup was postponed and it's been postponed until next year, um, and. Unfortunately, for for us, um, David uh, and his wife got a phenomenal opportunity to to relocate to the to United Kingdom, um, of which uh, you know obviously David's wife left a little bit earlier, and, and David's gone over to join her. And uh, you know, unfortunately, David wasn't able to continue in his role, um, and I've obviously subsequently stepped up um, and 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 taken on that. That role in, uh, for the qualifier, and uh, then uh, Justin Rosenberg, who was the manager of, of the team, as he has stepped up and he is my he will be my assistant coach for for that series, and then we will we will reassess um, after that, and and we'll take the the necessary steps from there, obviously in preparation for the World Cup, if if it indeed goes ahead.
1: And I mean, Ryan, you've obviously uh, you've got some great experience, and, and we can start at the beginning. You do have national caps as a player. I mean, how much of a uh, an influence does that make on your coaching? The fact that you've been there and you've actually experienced um, the, the national level.
2: Yeah, look, it does. I do think it plays a part. I mean, there are a lot of coaches out there that have been incredibly successful um, as players and have transitioned pretty well to being a coach. I don't think it is the... I don't necessarily think it's the be-all and end-all um, to have played at a level, but I, I can, I can imagine it definitely helps. I mean, I, I look what, what Nedy Fulton's doing with the Belgian side, and it's. I don't think it's a coincidence that that some of his knowledge of being, uh, having played at those highest levels definitely adds value to to his coaching. So, yeah, look, it does help. In saying that, I think the move, the the game has moved so far and so quickly, and progressed so much that I mean when I was playing um, the the game is uh, the game has changed the the fundamentals always remain the same but I think tactically it's evolved Um, the speed of the game has evolved Um, so yes it does definitely I think it does help Um, and um, yeah but like I said I don't think it's a be all and end all but it definitely does help
0: Ryan, yeah, good to good to have you on the show. Um, great to catch up as always. Uh, as time mentioned, you certainly no stranger to the role. Uh, let's go back a, a couple of years. Uh, I think six to be exact. Now, uh, twenty fifteen indoor World Cup. You coached SA indoor there. Um, what was that experience like?
2: Yeah, look, Derek. I think for 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 guys who hadn't been exposed to to indoor, especially the men, for such a long period of time. I mean we hadn't i think previous to that i think the last time the guys sent aside was eight eight years prior to that um so yeah we actually hadn't con- hadn't competed back in the indoor arena for for such a long time um also that that year was also fundamentally different from from any other indoor tournament or world cup is that it was the first year where the, 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 the there'd been a slight rule change um and I know to the disgust of the Germans, uh, who absolutely hated the rule, but they went back to a five man uh, five players on the park at one side. So they said one goalkeeper and four out, out, out players. And I think the thinking behind that is they thought that it was going to generate more goals um, and be a little bit more of a spectator spectacle. And if I'm going to be honest, it actually had a total adverse effect. It was very, if I could say, basketball. Um, very similar to a basketball match. It was a lot of defense, kind of wait for the uh, opposition to make a mistake or wait for them to have a shot. And then uh, it was just, it, there was no real counter. It was just basically a fence and attack. Um, so that that World Cup was a fantastic experience, but very a very different one from uh, from, like I said, the rules changing um we had to adjust just before that to these rule rule changes because it wasn't something that we were playing here um so yeah it was overall i mean it was it was a great experience for the guys um um, and i think a lot of lessons were learned Uh, but in saying that post that world cup the rules very quickly got changed back again so you know everything that you try to prepare for and and, and implement straight after that it, it reverted back to the same old so yeah it was a, it was a great experience, but a a, a strange one at the same time because it, it wasn't normal in any stretch of the imagination.
0: yeah it certainly is a, a unique experience. I, I love the fact that you had to revert back almost immediately and just uh, return to, to what you were used to and uh, you're no know, stranger to to the role and you also know stranger to world cups because um, you also went over to the 2018 World Cup.
2: Yeah, look, the twenty eighteen World Cup was a, you know, that was special. That was that was in Berlin. I think the first one was in obviously Leipzig. Second one was in Berlin. Um, And yeah, that was a that was a a really good World Cup. From I think the build up was we had a a really good build up. Um, Again, a lot of the guys first World Cup. It is a very if you haven't been before, it is an an absolutely eye opening experience. There really is nothing. Nothing like that that I've experienced. Uh, I was involved in the outdoor setup for a while. I haven't experienced anything like, like those last two World Cups from a, just a spectator, uh, big crowds, um, a lot of noise, uh, incredible technical, fast, amazing hockey to watch, um, lots of goals, um, super tactical, um, but I think it is one of those things where I know that the, the whole thing is you don't really know what it's about until you experience it for yourself. Um, it really is that you've got no idea and I can talk about it and you can watch some videos on, on YouTube. Uh, I think the final in particular, it still won't, will not give you the, the actual feeling of being there and experiencing it for yourself. It was really incredible. And I think that, that was a thing uh, that a lot of players took away from that. It was just, you know, that desire to go back and experience that again. Um, so I think there are a lot of guys that possibly involved in this, in this next uh, batch of players that know what, know what it's all about and are incredibly eager to go back and experience that all over again.
1: And Ryan and, and, and for, sorry, Dick, I yeah. just want to interject there for, for the, um, for the, the South Africans who haven't got to go. And, and unfortunately it costs a lot of money to go and, and indoors, uh, not at the top of everybody's list. But I mean, comparing that to what uh, we've experienced with the PSI All-Star Nights, Belleville Velodrome, 3,000 people there watching entertainment, you know, how close on scale do PSI get to a World Cup kind of experience?
2: Yeah, I think, I think that, that last series that I watched, like the women play against Ireland, and I think I, I coached uh, one of the guys' sides there uh, is the precursor to, to the girls' match. Um, in particular, that, that game at the Velodrome where, you know, the live music, the pyrotechnics, the sound, the noise, the crowd, it is, I mean, they, they do get pretty close. They do get pretty close. I mean, I think, you know, throw another 6,000 people in that environment and, and you, will, you will get close to what a, a World Cup is like. Um, but yeah, to be honest PSR that in that particular tournament they they weren't, they weren't that far off um, and just to play in that if you speak to some of the players that, that played in it, I mean it's one thing coaching in that environment but it's another thing playing in that there's an unbelievable unbelievable um, experience for these players because you just don't get that in any other uh, I don't think you get that same environment in an outdoor setup um, it's just because it's so close, it's so intimate, it's so loud. Um, it's, it's something that is so foreign to a lot of hockey players to play in that sort of environment. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, the, like I said, the PSR, not not a million miles away. And on the, that recipe I think they've taken. I know Simon, Simon came across with us. Uh, he was at Leipzig. And I think he did definitely take a lot of things that away from that tournament as the event as a whole. And he's kind of implemented that into, into these sorts of PSI events. And it's, it's been great.
0: I know you spoke about a little earlier, Ryan, uh, regarding the preparation for 2018 uh, as opposed to 2015. And they were extremely, extremely different. Uh, I mean, back in 2018, yeah. uh, uh, PSI, All-Star Games, two to 3,000 fans. I mean, you couldn't have wished for anything better with regards to preparing for for a tournament against the best of the best.
2: No, we couldn't have, and I think again credit to to Simon and and you know some of the sponsors that came on board at that time and and they assisted in that preparation and whatever sporting code that you go that you play um, these big tournaments a lot depends on your preparation before you get there and a lot of the work needs to be done before you arrive because it can't be done once you land um, and I think that was something that we obviously picked up on our first trip in twenty fifteen is, what what we deemed because we hadn't done it before, what we deemed to be good preparation, um, we I, I mean I remember coaching the guys and uh, it was actually quite laughable. We went and played a, a German club side as a warm up game um, back in 2015. As we arrived, I think ten days prior to the start of the tournament, and we played a warm up game and I think we were we were one nil down in the first thirty seconds because they <laughs> these guys had done something that. Quite honestly, we hadn't played against European opposition. We'd only been able to play against the Namibian side and a and a, a kind of a, a scratch pickup side that we played down in Cape Town before we left with some ex outdoor players and a couple of the kind of leftover indoor guys. And so we had no idea. And uh, these we did our normal press and they moved the ball literally twice. And we'd never seen any sort of play like that before, went down the other side of the court and scored. And all of a sudden, I remember after the game realising we we have to change and we were having to make changes in in Germany as opposed to making those changes before we got there. So the second time around um, and knowing what we knew, because at that time, Pierre was also my assistant coach in that first one. So we kind of kept the consistency. I think the preparation going there uh, the second time was significantly better. Um, we did play against those All-Stars that made a big difference. So I think we all kind of knew way more when we arrived what was expected than than back in 2015.
0: Uh, It's amazing, the the story you tell. It reminds me of the story that emanated from uh, the South African football team uh, in the early 90s after readmission. They've got the FIFA Beach Soccer World Cup that takes place every year or every two years. Yeah. And so yeah. they're hosting it, it was taking place in Brazil. And we quickly put together a motley crew of players. It was like former players and guys at nearing the end of their careers and uh, guys that were, yeah. were fairly good on, on the football field. So, But I mean, yeah. the only beach soccer they'd <laughs> ever really had was during holidays, et cetera. So they put together this team. They send them over to Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And it's a couple of days prior to the tournament. So they go and they're on Copacabana Beach And they're there as the national team representing South Africa. And they think, okay, well, we might as well get some practice in. So they just went and took on some fans who were just sitting around. And the fans thrashed them. (laughs) They gave them an absolute idea. Obviously, when it came to the tournament, I mean, they came nowhere. But uh, but I think that you talk about eye-opening. There's absolutely no question that... uh, uh, I mean, never mind preparation, but you make a very good point because you say up until then, your, your main experience was against playing teams like Namibia, etc., close neighbours. Of course, uh, money would have definitely played a big role because travel, of course, is expensive. But it's amazing how yeah. things change the more uh, the, the quality of the opposition changes as well uh, as, as you get to experience Absolutely. more, especially with the European sides. I mean, that goes without saying.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, look, I think it, it's it's funny because in both those tournaments in 2015 and again in 2018, um, there were, I mean, there were games that we definitely competed in every single game. I mean, I, I remember being, I think we were 2 up in 2015, we were 2 up against Poland. Um, and we actually were, we were, I mean, Poland at that stage were ranked two or three in the world. And we were kind of holding our own and, and I, I'm not going to name any names, but uh, one one of one of my players made a horrendous tackle and got he got uh, shown a, a yellow card, and Poland pull pulled their goalkeeper off. We had three players on; they went to five, and I think they scored three goals, and it was literally I think it was three goals in about one and a half minutes, and yeah, that was kind of the game done and dusted. And that unfortunately that was that was kind of the the trend in, in that 2015 year is that. We, we made small mistakes, if I'm going to be honest, maybe small mistakes, whether it was a, a, someone getting sent off or just being slightly out of position. But at that level, your, your punishment is a goal. Um, so we would compete for you know probably 35 out of the 40 minutes, but the five minutes where you're not on it is, is where you lose the game. Um, 2018, um, again, probably hand on heart. We had a really good side in 2018, and we probably should have done a lot better than we did. Um, there were no real excuses there, uh, other than maybe just pure lacks of concentration in periods of the games. And that's at that level. I think that is the difference. That's what it boils down to. I think that those those top international teams just don't make they don't make as many mistakes. Um, and, and when we made mistakes, it, in essence, cost us a goal. Um, so they are very fine, incredibly fine margins. But I think um, it's something that we obviously definitely aware of it. And we know that we can compete. It's just that elimination of those really, really small mistakes. And it's it's those fine margins that ultimately define the outcome of the match.
1: Yeah, Ryan, I mean, it's obviously it's, it's a, a point that has to be raised. Um, Hockey in South Africa is a unfinanced game. It is a very much an amateur game. And as coaches, uh, you obviously all maintain a full-time job and you coach on the side. Now, um, obviously, when you look at it and you look at what you did, I mean, obviously, for 2015, we were able to uh, gather up the funds and go. But, you know, 2018, um, uh, we're talking a month before, players didn't know how much they were going to have to pay towards the World Cup. We had a, a, a proposed sponsor through uh, a peer that uh, pulled out being, I think it was Johnson Workwear or whoever, and maybe I shouldn't say companies, so whatever. They, they pulled out. Uh, you know how, how much of a frustration is that? And, and also how much of the role as coach uh, becomes about trying to find financing?
2: Sorry, Tony, you broke up that the, the last little section there, sorry?
1: No worries. I was saying, you know, how much of a frustration is that for you, firstly? And then secondly, how much of your role uh, actually becomes almost more about the finance side of stuff than just the hockey side of stuff?
2: Yeah, I I think anyone, anyone who coaches any of our national sides, probably with the exclusion of, you know, the big three cricket, rugby and, and soccer, every national coach is in the same position. Uh, there is no you know we are not we are not funded and again there's certain things that you as, as a coach it does rest with you unfortunately it is and that's part of the process when you apply for the position that is one of the things that are stipulated in in, in the role is that you, you ultimately would would be able you would need to find the finances if you wanting to do certain things that, that kind of rests with you um but i do want to it does it, you know there, there are two in, in SA hockey, which I think um, exactly depicts how important it is. I think um, when, when Giles was looking after the women and they invested uh, a, a part of the setup and when they were funded, you saw what an impact that had on the women's hockey in South Africa. I mean, they're playing some really good test matches. The results are relatively good. I think they had a decent world ranking. Um, and that was because they were allowed to practice and play and that was because that was on the back of a sponsorship that was on the back of funds um, and and I look at what's happened with the the indoor women, with what Lenny's done with them, and you know the involvement of Spar and the women's game I mean I mean if if there were ranking points I mean let's be honest unfortunately now I know the ranking points have just changed but I mean, I would I would say right now, and and having watched obviously a lot of the women's games like you have, um, I mean the series win they had against Switzerland, what they did to the Czech Republic overseas, what happened against Poland, you know the series in Canada, I I would honestly hand on heart say probably our women, if if they were playing for ranking points and it wasn't going from World Cup to World Cup, would probably be in the top six in the world right now. Um, and and that's an incredible achievement, but again, it's on the back of there's funds, and and Lenny's been able to put a program together, and they, and they've been able to do really well on the back of that. So I think that that's a that shows you how important it is um, when there are, when there are funds involved. What it can make, what what a difference it can make to a team. Because I think money aside, raw talent and ability, we've got an abundance. Uh, I mean, I'd go as too far as to say this, this current crop of indoor guys that I've, that I've got or that David had and I've kind of inherited are technically incredibly good, um, all grown up playing a lot of indoor, um, really, really talented players. And if there was a lot of funding and if there was a, someone who rocked up with a blank checkbook, you know, could, could these guys um, get to a top six kind of ranking in a period of eighteen months, I think absolutely, but it's you know it's it's about finding those funds. But yeah, you know, two two really specific scenarios that I can remember in South African hockey where there has been money in, uh, uh, invested and the results have been there for everyone to see.
1: Yeah, it's clear to me um, that uh, that is the case. I mean, Lenny has done an outstanding job. Uh, with the women's team, but it's because he has a program, you know, and he's able to have that program because of the fact that SPA have not just been a a, a sponsor, but rather a partner. And yep. uh, we know that the men are a marketable brand. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is, for example, when we were at the PSI, um in order to, to pay our way, the men would go and umpire. Uh, The men would stay at uh, the UCT res rather to save costs and say thank you and all of that. And it just shows the humility of the type of player that's playing there. And speaking about the type of player, I mean, you currently uh, at the most recent squad selection. It was 23 players from which uh, the African qualifier would be selected. You obviously have those 23 available to you, but you also have – you know, some very exciting players who at the upcoming IPT are planning to put their hand up for you and make life difficult. Obviously, we're playing under a biosecure bubble. I mean, what are you anticipating from the um, from the IPT? Are, are you thinking that we're going to see established players put their hands up or, or are you challenging the youngsters who, or maybe not even youngsters, the unknowns to put their hands up and make sure that uh, – you and Greg and your selection team have a very difficult choice to make.
2: Yeah, I think for the first time in a long time, and I was actually having this discussion with someone the other night, is that whoever the 12 are, you know, it, it's, I remember my, my, and again, I have to revert back to what I know, that the, the, 20, the 2015, we literally, I'd literally maybe, 12 13 14 guys to choose from and it was you know it was it was it was so close and again with the drop of numbers i I remember actually having to drop a player in particular just to for the 11 but it really was uh, it was 12 guys and now as you mentioned there are 23 plus more players that all are very very close i mean if you had to choosing a choosing a 12 is incredibly difficult um and, and that says a lot about what's happened and the structures that have been put out like through PSI. All those players are starting to come through now where it just hasn't been it hasn't been that way in the past. And that's why I said earlier is that I think the the group of players coming through now are, are incredibly technically good. And that's maybe, we haven't really been very technically good, but these guys are very technically good. Um, and Indoor hockey is in a really good space in that regard. There are a lot of players, and like I said, that, that pool just keeps on growing and growing and growing. Up. Uh, last year, I was, not this last year, the prior year, where I was down at PSI and I watched some of the games. Some of those kids at under 14, under 16, under 18 level, and particularly in those finals where kind of the, the, the cream seems to be at the top, there are some incredibly talented and gifted indoor players there that will will come through in the next four or five years. Um, so, yeah, in that, in that regard, it's a very, very good space. It's an, expi- it's an exciting space as a coach. It makes it really difficult for the selectors. Um, and this IPT is going to be, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how many players uh, put their hands up if guys choose to play themselves into the squad. Or, you know, it's getting to a stage now where you, you really have to play yourself in um, because there is a really good group of, of 23 there, um, a phenomenal group of 23 there. So, yeah, some guys are going to have to do something absolutely phenomenal at, at, uh, at RPT to put their hands up. Yeah,
0: Ryan, I know we touched on it a little bit at the beginning of the show. So, uh, a lot of our guests during COVID have been players. And I mean, we had Erin Hunter two or three weeks back and, you know, she was speaking about the struggles when it comes to preparing for, for anything really with regards to hockey uh, during COVID because she's constantly have to be kept in the loop by, by her coach. In this case was uh, Robin Van Ginkle. And, and funny enough, Robin actually phoned uh, during the interview. And I mean, I can yeah. imagine from a player it must be tough because they've got to make sure that their regime is is up to speed. But for a coach, I reckon it must be even more so. Um, Because, of course, you've got to keep tabs on every single player. One player certainly just needs to look after themselves. The coach, theoretically, needs to look after everyone. But from behind a PC, thankfully, things have changed. But um, it hasn't been the case for a very, very long time over the past year. No,
2: look, I think, and just saying, yeah, I mean, speaking from experience now, is that it's what makes it a lot more demanding and a lot more challenging is that a lot of a lot of the players are currently involved in the under 21 program as well as the outdoor program so you've got under 21 guys that are are committed and involved and have just been selected in in uh, sigs's under 21 uh, africa qualifier team um, then you've got other guys that are putting in an incredible amounts of work to to try and make uh, the Olympic squad. Because um, I know that, you know, Springs is, is I've got camps on, I think there's a camp currently going on, if I'm not mistaken, or just finished. So, yeah, it's incredibly challenging because at some points as well, you've got to let the guys, so what I've done, just personally, I've kind of just let the guys focus on the out, outdoor requirements for now because there's just so much, there's so much hockey going on. Um, so many demands being made on these players from not only a physical, but a mental, uh, the mental side as well. Also, it's the not knowing, which is incredibly frustrating for all parties. Um, you know, Africa qualifier, um, as far as I know, um, is not 100% confirmed. I think there's a provisional date, Tara, and you may know more about this than I do, but from what I understand is I think there is a, a hesitation you know, hesitantly confirmed dates, but there's no hard and fast. Yes, it's happening. So, with all this uncertainty, um, with all the other hockey going on, uh, with all those other challenges that these guys are currently going through, um, uh, it's it is incredibly tough to to get them to on a specific program. Um, again, as I mentioned, the outdoor program. These guys, from a mental perspective, also now being told they need to come up with some funds. I know the under 21 guys are fundraising. The outdoor guys are fundraising. To throw in to throw the indoor guys in amongst that mix and ask them to fundraise is a it's a, it's it's not the it's not the easiest time to be a, a national hockey player or indoor or outdoor or associated with the coaching staff of either of those of those uh, codes.
1: And, and, and Ryan I-, I mean you've got to look at that That you look at a player like uh, <laughs> uh, Derek and I our communication is not as good today <laughs> um, but you look at a player like Diane Kasim and Mustafa Kasim and Jethro Eustace is uh, the current indoor captain obviously you you will still decide that but but you look at these guys and, and in the space of 12 months and Mustafa Kasim obviously we know he's not in the under 21 uh, yeah. African qualifier as he has withdrawn. Uh, But he could have played uh, very easily. He could have played the under 21 qualifier in Ghana in March, the Indoor Africa uh, qualifier in Durban in April, Uh, the Olympic Games in September in China, the Indoor after the World Cup, the Junior World Cup in India in December, the Indoor World Cup in uh, Belgium in February. And then, of course, the Outdoor Hockey World Cup late uh, in the late part of next year. I mean, that's six expensive trips for a player who is arguably one of the finest players that have been produced in South African history. Um, you know, how do, how do we support players like this?
2: Sure. Sure. Um... That's a it's a very loaded question. Yeah, uh, you know, look, Tyrone, I, I don't honestly think there is an easy answer unless there is a a corporate that is prepared to go and invest in a in a in a in an individual because you know just mention those things. I I'm doing numbers in my head and you know I, I mean that's probably just for that individual alone. Probably to just to partake in all those tournaments and, and what he is uh, expected to contribute possibly. I mean, you're looking at a uh, quarter of a million, 300,000 just for that one player to 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 partake in all those individual tournaments. Um, and that's kind of, I said, I started off, I think I don't know, physically um, hockey is challenging at the moment, but I do think mentally, and this plays very much into the mental part of it, is that you work so hard, to get into these positions where you're able to go and participate in these tournaments. And then you get that inevitable question, well, okay, you've been selected, but this is how much it's going to cost you. And, you know, I I can't, and it goes for the parents as well. I mean, you know, you're, you're a parent like myself, if if your kid, you, you do as much as you can for your kids to get them where they needed to go. Um, but at some point you know you you can't even there's only so much you can do there's only so much the kid can do um, and I do feel sorry for a lot of these guys because I think these guys are being forced to make decisions in a sport which they love which um, which I don't I don't feel well in a, in a perfect world they shouldn't have to be making these decisions they should just be playing um, and like I said I mean you mentioned Mustafa but there's a lot of guys in that same boat that's that are, are playing in, 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 both forms of the match. Uh, and and so in both forms of the game, um, and yeah, yeah it's, it's, very challenging for them because I think physically they already, ready, um, mentally they, they, they might, they may be ready to play at that level, but I think the other mental drain it is that this constant requirement to fundraise and ask for money and, you know, Go and have a raffle and a golf day. I mean, it takes a lot out of you to constantly go and ask people, family, friends, corporates, if they can give you money. And that's what it boils down to. So, yeah, like I said, it's it's very sad, um, but it is what it is. And you, you've got to accept it and and you've got to do as best as you can um, to to make sure that you can can participate in those events and do what you have to do.
0: Ryan, going back to the the COVID situation and you're speaking about how how tough it is to ensure that players are in peak physical condition even though they're not constantly being monitored, etc. I I suppose it does help in that you're dealing with the level of athlete that has grown accustomed to having to look after themselves because, as we keep on mentioning hockey isn't like uh, the other big three sports in that they aren't constantly spoon-fed nutritionists and uh, equipment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they've actually got to go out and do things themselves on top of having to actually work for a living. So I'm I'm sure that must help in that you really are dealing with the most professional of professionals, even though they theoretically aren't professional when it comes to hockey. I mean, you mentioned the the camps with uh, springs. And Ty and I actually popped in there a week or two ago down to the, the Randberg Astro. And, I mean, I haven't seen them looking as good in a very, very long time. I mean, they always have looked good. But, I mean, you wouldn't say that they've just got out of a almost year-long lockdown, you know. And, and I reckon because hockey players are used to having to just fight to try and get... Just that little bit of appreciation, just that little bit of, um, of, of of a resource, and 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 that must help from your side.
2: Yeah, Derek, I think you. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I've I've been privileged enough to obviously look after uh, the indoor guys. I've been privileged enough to be a part of the outdoor setup, but I've also been able. I've got a lot of friends and and other coaches and other sporting codes and your rugby's and your soccer's and your cricket. And absolutely, there is no question that the hockey player from a commitment, hard work, um, putting in the extra effort far outstrips some of the other guys in the sporting codes because they're doing it for no other reason than they absolutely love their sport. They're not getting paid to do it. They're not getting paid to w- w- uh, wake up at half past five in the morning and go for, for a 6K run. You're not getting paid to go and flick a hundred short corners on a Sunday afternoon. You're not getting paid to, you know, um, you know, discard your weekends and and give up, you know, drinks with your mates and 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 it's you're not getting paid to do this. You're doing it because it's something that you truly want to do, and it's something that you truly believe in. And I mean, going back to I remember playing even in the in the Natal. In the Natal men's side, I mean, we would have short corner practice at half past five in the morning with the floodlights on because everyone had to practice before they went off to their jobs at eight o'clock. But that's when you practice. And I think that inherent um, drive and uh, commitment to the cause of just staying as as in peak physical fitness as you can possibly be. and, and trying to get onto the turf as much as you can. Uh, it does, as I said, I, I, the difference between us and the internationals isn't, isn't uh, um, it's possible to bridge that gap, but I think it, more of it's got to do with funding and actually spending time and playing in combinations with each other, rather than the individual work some of these guys are putting in. Because you cannot fault the work ethic. You cannot fault the amount of time that these guys are dedicating to their sport. Um, It's just, it's that quality time of playing enough together and that quality time of doing enough things as a team together. um, That is the challenge. Individually, our work rates and, and the guys' work rates and the girls for that matter is absolutely second to none. That that'll never ever be in question. So yeah, the COVID has has had its challenges, but every single one of these guys are working incredibly hard every single day just to make sure that they are physically fit when when they are required to play.
1: Ryan, before I hand you back to Derek for <laughs> the one question quiz, the last one from my side. Obviously, you are in a hockey family. Uh, your wife is a player, your father-in-law is a coach, your brother-in-law plays, uh, you know, hockey is all around you. Is it something that you're able to, uh, you know, I know you as a family live and breathe the sport, but are you able to draw a line in it and and keep hockey uh, separate when you're at home? Or or is there quite a lot of involvement with each other and talking about performance and planning and stuff like that?
2: Oh, she's sorry. Yeah. Um... Yeah, look, it does, it does come up. It does come up the occasional um, discussion. But I, I do think that, um, quite funny, I think we're we all at a stage of our, of our coaching careers or playing careers. I'm talking from Sinza's side and, and Lenny's side where, I, if I'm going to be honest, I think we do try and keep it to a minimum now. Um, again, and also there are other distractions. I've got two daughters now. Um, at school, they've got other interests. Eddie loves to horse ride. No idea where that came from. So, um, yeah, I think there, there's there are the other distractions. Um, and, I, and I think it's you also kind of, as previous discussion that I had with Albert, I think um, when you're you doing something because you are passionate about it, you, you're not getting enumerated for it, you're not getting paid for it, and it does kind of become part of your life and your, and your psyche, um, and I think also you do need your time away where you just don't talk about it um, and just try and just carry on uh, as as normally as possible, should I say? I think uh, conversation ramps up around IPTs and test series towns, but yeah, you know, if I'm going to be honest, we we try and we try and not talk about it as as often anymore, uh, and kind of just leave it for those for those special, those special events, qualifiers and test matches and, and RPTs.
0: Oh, Ryan, it's, it's been superb chatting to you. Really, really terrific insight. And, and again, congrats on the position. But uh, you're not done yet because uh, to round things off, of course, we head over to the dreaded one-question quiz. Live in the
1: moment till I die.
0: Okay, Ryan, I know you are the show's biggest fan, so you know exactly what's happening when it comes to the one-question quiz. (laughs) The name says it all, one question, and you've got a couple of seconds in which to answer it. Okay, so uh, there is a famous writer uh, who shares your surname, Richard Hack. He's written a a number of uh, really, really good books. I'm I'm a big fan. And he's also written a book uh, called Use. And Hughes was the subject for Martin Scorsese who went on to write, uh, make a movie based on the book. I want to know, what is the title of the movie? It was based in the book called Hughes.
2: Jeez. <laughs> That's not an easy question. Huh? <laughs> uh, um, oh my gosh. Uh, no idea. Uh, absolutely no idea. Um school says he has good there's casino and,
0: and i'll um, he 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 did turn to a guy that he really enjoys working with to be the actor in this movie and it kind of broke feet? he broke rank um in terms of what the subject matter was i mean obviously it was biographical, but uh it didn't have to do with gangsters this time around
2: oh jeez uh I've honestly got no idea, um, Derek. I no, feel like you can say who the actor was.
0: Yeah, yeah. the The actor was uh, Leo Leonardo DiCaprio.
2: Wolf of Wall Street.
0: It was not Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, Ty, you know, you know what we're talking about, hey? Uh,
1: no, only because I googled it, so uh. <laughs> uh, no, I, I didn't know beforehand. Um, okay, but that's quite
0: interesting. Yeah, so so who, the- what, what is? So, so the book was uh, published in 2001. It was called Hughes, The Private Diaries, Memoirs, yeah. and Letters. And the yeah. movie was 2004 made, and it was about Howard Hughes, the eccentric billionaire who also loved flying, which turned into the movie The Aviator.
2: Oh, no worries. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, very, <laughs> no, no, no chance of getting that right. <laughs>
1: Absolutely zero. Oh, I was, I was going to say, Derek, that was not your easiest. No. Surely, no. That,
2: was, surely that is not a standard issue. Is that, that cannot be a standard issue, one-time-only question. Uh,
1: no, it you is. Know, you know, what, what did we do Derek, last week?
2: <laughs> I don't know.
1: You, you've been on fire lately. You uh, are burning. Jesus, uh, but
0: thankfully, but thankfully right. your 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 um your expertise doesn't lie in uh, thinking up obscure uh, book uh, no. slash movie related questions. It's all about hockey, and uh, yeah, we definitely have a, a great man in the hot seat uh, as you look forward to the rest of the year uh, taking over and uh, the the uh, men's indoor side.
2: Thanks very much.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, I can. I can confirm that the African Hockey uh, Indoor Qualifier is currently set for the fifteenth to eighteenth of April uh, to be hosted in Durban. Uh, however, it is subject to COVID protocols and uh, obviously the opening of our border, um, which should
2: because- happen today, I think. The borders open today, I believe.
1: Well, so so as it stands, it is set to go forward, provided we don't get a wave three and new restrictions, or yeah. um, the countries that are coming in don't have restrictions and can use that as excuse. But it's it's looking good that we should get it underway for everybody else. Um, the uh, obviously the the South African men have a bit of an interesting situation because if the African qualifier cannot happen, South Africa qualify for the World Cup. Having previously gone, but for the women, or sorry, being the top ranked team, but for the women because of the previous World Cup. If uh, they don't have it, our woman won't go, Namibia will go. So it's, it's very interesting. It's up in the air, but we're hoping it gets to go underway. And Ryan, we, we wish you and the team best of luck. Uh, you're going to need a lot of luck to cut down to your 12, firstly, yeah. <laughs> and then a lot of luck for the tournament uh, as we look to get South Africa back. To the World Cup and looking to make their top six and give Africa two spots at future World Cups.
2: Thanks very much, Tyrant. Thanks very much, Derek. It's been your yeah, awesome chatting. Um, yeah, thanks very much again for for doing such a good job and providing a platform like this. Um, it's uh, it's always interesting to listen to, and um, yeah, thanks again for all what you guys are doing.
0: No, man, absolute pleasure and and great to have you on the show, Ryan. Uh, I know you are a longstanding friend of it and we can't wait to catch up soon in person and not just Zoom or or whatever uh, digital medium uh, everyone likes to use. Uh, Borders have opened and we can enjoy ourselves, uh, but with, uh, as always, staying safe. So, Ryan, thanks very much. Uh, Best of luck for the future and catch up soon.
2: Thanks, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.
0: Great chat as always, Ty, and well done. Another great guest delivered.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's an exciting time now for Ryan, obviously, to to lead the team and get us qualified for the World Cup and hopefully, COVID permitting, take the team through to Belgium next year. Let's see what happens.
0: Yeah, can't wait. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode of Hockey the Podcast. In the meantime, Ty and I are going to be hitting the golf course as we've got a, a big tournament coming up, Ty, over at Serengeti. And Royal Jo'burg.
1: Yeah, you've got uh, your knockout match. Oh, I've got god. my knockout match. Um, oh, and I think you are uh, the favourite for yours. I'm the underdog for mine. So. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no.
0: My match is You're... against the golfing god Richard Masbro, um, and that's no. certain to end in a in a heavy defeat for me unless I make every use of my very high handicap, which I'm going to. Uh, and you'll be taking on uh, the Durban Boyke Wade, which uh, promises to be great. And who knows, maybe we can get a, another Durban Boykie up uh, to take us on in, in Ryan. So uh, let's <laughs> hold thumbs and see. But uh, yeah, we'll be on the golf course, but uh, we'll be back for another episode of Hockey the Podcast. Ty, thanks as always.
1: Thanks, D. Chat to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.